This morning, my prayers and thoughts are with those in the path of Hurricane Dorian, uh, lifting all of them up, those who are in the Bahamas right now, those who were in places that it has already gone over, as well as those who might yet be in harm's way. We are just praying for safety and a minimal loss of uh, property or life and asking God's blessing upon them. Um, it gets me thinking anytime there's a hurricane out there, uh, I you grew up down toward the Gulf Coast, as I think most of y'all know, and this time of year was a time that we would begin watching whatever the National Weather Service was saying, and in the papers, and now of course online, they produce what's called a cone of uncertainty. Have y'all seen that? It's a, a three-day and five-day cone, and what it is is it says that if the storm is here in this place, it, there's a probability of it may go a little bit this way or a little bit that way, and they step it day by day through these computer models, and they show you on a map the 500-mile range of where it might go, a cone of uncertainty. Many a storm has I, have I watched and awaited as that cone of uncertainty proceeded across a swath to create a field of damage that would then do harm to people. And I think that the cone of uncertainty is an interesting kind of concept or, or thought because I think the reality is most of us realize that the world and life around us has a lot of things that are uncertain. Uh, a major hurricane, I think it said it, it hit five this morning is what they said, category five, is not the only thing that can enter our world and enter our lives and produce uncertainty. I think if we're honest with ourselves, if we're really forthright, there are many things in life that produce uncertainty. Now, I, I hear you. We build and organize. We get everything straight. We clean our homes and we wash our children. We teach them right for wrong and we prepare. We get ready for those difficult days and times. But the challenge we have is often there are forces beyond our controls. There are things that move in life that are uncertain. And this text is written to people who are living in a world that is uncertain and even outright hostile to their newfound faith and belief. And they're in that place, they are desperate for any kind of anchor or something to hold on to as storm after storm, onslaught after onslaught befalls these people. They need something secure to keep them from getting blown away or wiped off the map. They need something sure and certain. And so we get this beautiful passage about how Jesus is our hope. If you read that whole chapter, you're going to hear a lot about hope. You're going to hear a lot about Jesus and the promises. The beautiful part is, is that they're trying to wrestle through something in Genesis. You see, in Genesis, there's a person named Abraham. Now, aren't you glad I didn't talk about Melchizedek yet? Right, I, I, know, I know that was, uh, somebody told me this morning that one of my sermons was their most favorite. It wasn't the one about Melchizedek, okay? 
But Melchizedek comes on the scene in the life of Abraham. This is all in Genesis about chapter 22. Comes on the scene with, with Abraham and provides words of a promise that God has made. But what's fascinating about it is that God had told Abraham what's going to happen. And then God, through Melchizedek, makes an oath. Why would God need to make an oath? I mean, isn't God's word good enough? I mean, I don't know about you, but if God tells me something, yes, God is sufficient on my part. If, if God is giving a word, isn't who God is enough? But there is an oath that's made, and why is that necessary? As part of the promise. And so for a few hundred years, people who were reading this were scratching their heads. And as they studied and as they looked at it, they realized what it was. That it wasn't actually something that God needed to do. It was something that God did out of God's love for humanity. So it's like this. How many of y'all have ever tucked in a child at night? Anybody? Right, family member, cousin, or th- you know, you go with them and you're there. And when they say, for me, they would say, Daddy. When they say, Daddy, don't leave, right? My appropriate response to them was, shut up, I told you, go to sleep. <laughs> right? Was I not supposed to say that? No, of course not. Of course not. Now, my love for them meant that I would do something different and be present. My word should have been enough, but there's something special about the presence of another human being with you when you face a cone of uncertainty that changes everything. And so willingly and joyfully, I would sit down beside them and hold their hand and stay with them as long as they needed. Not because ever the goblins under the bed or the thing outside the shadow or whatever ever left, but because by being with them, they knew that they were loved and okay. You see, here in the book of Hebrews, we are reminded that God loves God's people in such ways that there's something in the nature of God that is so radically grace-filled that it always does more than enough to even give a double promise and double assurance so that the people of God would know that even in the cone of uncertainty, They are not alone. And there in that place, we still doubt and have fears. We feel like what we face or what we see is beyond what we can do. And so we try to prepare. There's a a great preacher of old named uh, Dr. Jim Moore, who's now of, of blessed memory. And Dr. Moore 
would uh, teach and, uh, and preach and give many a great stories. If you've ever heard of uh, St. Luke's United Methodist Church down in Houston, he was senior pastor there for many, many years. And Dr. Moore would tell a story in some of his books and also in his preaching about a family that had a, a farm out in Oklahoma. And he would say that on that farm one day, they were trying to find some field hands. And this one guy they came across that they ended up hiring, in the interview, he said, well, you ought to hire me because I can sleep when the wind blows. What? I can sleep when the wind blows. And so they hired him, and they, he was on board for a few weeks, and they liked him. He seemed to work really hard. And then one evening, a storm came up, and it was pretty bad. And the farmer began thinking that there were some things that were unfinished, and so he went out to the corral where they kept the horses to check and see if the gate had been mended. And sure enough, it was all fixed. And then he headed back over to the barn to see if the animals had been fed and gotten their stuff and everything was right, and it was all as it should be. And the only thing he had not seen was this hand that he had hired. And he went, and guess where he was? Sleeping. Because he could sleep when the wind blows. And for the majority of things we face in a daily basis, if we can be prepared and look ahead we know where we fall short and we can get involved and do something so that indeed we can sleep when the wind blows. But friends, I can tell you that in the cone of uncertainty, that will only get us so far. There are things beyond what we can handle. And when they come, we better be anchored onto something that can hold us in place and keep us from being utterly destroyed because only the divine power of the Almighty Himself alive in our lives can get us through those. It is a popular modern myth that God doesn't give us more than we can handle. That's not what the Bible actually says. It says that God does not give us more than God can handle if we turn to Him in our time of need. What are you anchored to? What have you hooked on to? What leads you around and determines what goes on in your life? My friends, only God, who is grace-filled in double promise, can get us through the storms we face. I can't help but think of a friend of mine. Uh, you know, I've ministered to lots of people as they come through hurricanes and tragedies and one of them particularly comes to mind. Uh, her name's Nell Silbach. Um, she lived in Nacogdoches. And as Hurricane Rita came through there, it was still a Force One hurricane. And this one's a Force what? Five. But a, but a Force One hurricane. She w had lost her husband about five years before, and her roof uh, had some challenges. And a Force One hurricane had enough constant wind that it lifted a corner of her roof up and literally 
all that torrent of water came through and ruined everything she had. Everything that she used to kind of identify herself as who she was. And that Sunday after that storm, uh, we went up to the church, and, and I'll, I'll never forget, uh, my kids, um, they were real small then. I know it's hard to believe they were ever young, but, you know, like, uh, John was five and still shorter than me, right? And Kate was three and still shorter than Laura, but we have a great picture of them holding between them this giant limb that they were moving away from the door so that people could make it in. Now, we didn't have any power. We didn't have running water. But we had a place where we could serve communion and to just pray with people. And Nell came there, and in that receiving of Holy Communion, she said, Brad, sometimes you have to have everything else washed away to realize that the only thing you need to build your life on is Jesus our Lord. I thank God that I can start over with Jesus at the center of my life. Think about another man, uh, his name is John Lumpkin. And when I was being told that I was gonna be going uh, by the bishop, that I was gonna be going down to Bridge City, it was a disaster area. Um, Hurricane Ike had come through and I think they had been um, up and running for just a few weeks after that. And I was gonna be moving my family into a a disaster area with debris fields like in front of houses and stuff. It was kind of a little unusual and everything. And so they had the SPR gather and I went down to meet with them. And I was really humbled by the faith of the people of the church like this, uh, people who love the Lord uh, like this church does and, and cared about rebuilding their life on Christ. And meeting them there, I was just so humbled by their stories of survival and every one of them to a person said, we want to rebuild our community and our life on Jesus. You see, follow, following Jesus doesn't mean that the storms don't come. It, it, do, it doesn't mean that life doesn't at times hurt or get to be seemingly impossible. It means that when the tough times occur, we rely on the Lord. And in fact, might I suggest that it shouldn't take a natural disaster, whether it be personal or regional in nature, to lead us back to making the Lord the center of our life, the anchor to whom we fix ourselves in the time of uncertainty. Because recently I was meeting with a person who told me that their greatest regret is that they can't say that Jesus is the center of their home, of their family, of those they love. What would you say? Is Jesus at the heart of your house? At the pastor's Bible study this week, um, I asked them uh, some questions. We, the text there in chapter, chapter 6 goes on to say several things. I would really commend it to you. 
uh, but it gets something that gets translated as Christian perfection, uh, actually talks about the kind of idea of being mature in Christ. Kind of the, the words here in Greek literally mean all grown up in Jesus. And see, when you're all grown up in Jesus, you know that Jesus is that anchor for you and there for you. And um, two of them emailed me back, and I'm not saying that to make anybody else in the class who didn't make me, but I don't want anybody feeling guilty, still show up next week. Uh, but uh, but their, their answers, the two that sent them were, were amazing. One said, um, the characteristics of those who are faithful, and, and he, he referred to John Wesley, he said those who have been perfected or made mature would, um, would be that they would always speak the truth in love, that they would be always humble enough to listen and learn from people in an authority, that they would uh, bring once a week all they can spare for the common stock, and, and he said that they're all in, and um, you know, I don't think Wesley would have used a gambling term, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say it there, but, but, but meaning that they are invested uh, with their life and with their resources into that. And that also, too, that they view everyone that they're blessed to serve Christ with as equal to themselves. And I think that's a, that's a beautiful thing. Another per person put a beautiful uh, comment. They said the word they would put when talking about being mature in Christ is that mature Christians have a willingness a willingness to listen, to show interest in the other person and to put them first, to study God's word, to have an active prayer life, to give of your resources to the church and others in need, to recognize the need for repentance and to ask God to forgive your sins, to be humble and to serve in whatever ways helps the other person or the church. And I think those are beautiful for those of you who might be in the struggle or in the challenge of recentering your life on Christ, everything said right there is really beautiful. But I want to give you a, another kind of look at this, what it means to have Jesus as your anchor. And, and that is this all of these imply somehow that how we hold on to the line is what matters. But the first time I ever learned about an anchor, I was listening to my granddaddy tell a story of swinging on the hook off the island of Saipan and Tinian in World War II. And the thing that was amazing to me about it, hearing about this anchor, is that this little piece of rope chain, which of course is not so little, it's big, but it's nowhere near as big or vast as the ship or the waves that move it and try to disturb it and pull it this way and that way, that somehow this anchor could be put down and out of the strength of what it's attached to, the gravity of the entire planet, it would hold that ship in place. When we talk about having hope, the hope in Christ is our anchor. Remember that the one who loves you is anchoring you. That's the one 
who can shape your life and give you grace. His divine nature is forgiveness. His divine being is so wrapped in love that even in uncertainty, he draws near to be an anchor of hope. Turn to him and not to your own devices to succeed. For the deep things of God are not that if we try hard enough, we might save ourselves. No, the deep things of God are that by the power of the Almighty, even we might be saved because he loved us so much. As we come forward to take communion, the one who loved you so much willingly gave up his life and became the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Nothing you've done wrong or nothing you've failed to do can ever keep you from that grace if you but repent and believe and receive forgiveness. As you come, receive the power of God to be anchored in hope. Amen.